I am John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Look, we got a couple of um, <laughs> of events marked on the calendar here coming up uh, on Monday. It's Halloween, uh, and then the uh, you know then the, uh, that election day is coming up too. So I'm going to talk about those two things today. First, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on Halloween. All I got to say is, do not dress up as Native people. I don't care how cute you think the out- the outfits are, the costumes are. We are not Halloween characters. Our clothing, even our historical or traditional clothing, they're not costumes. So, I mean, I hate to say the obvious, but I know there's some of you who, who are going to see it. You know, you might see a child or two show up on your doorstep, you, uh, especially, <laughs> especially in Washington, because there's still that, that latent uh, Washington Redskins stuff that uh, hangs around with people. But... Um, Look, it's 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 just really inappropriate, and you know th- that's why there are so many of us that are active in the in the mascot debate and, and and trying to really put an end to that kind of behavior and that kind of practice. Um, you know, I know people don't like to hear it, but it's racist. It, it's just a racist thing to do. So um, that's all I'm going to say about Halloween. Um, I know that it's um, Halloween is actually Monday, but. There will be kids and there will be probably parties for adults and, uh, you know, people uh, dressing up. Don't do blackface and don't do Pocahontas, all right? Just don't do it. Just don't do it. All right. Now I got to talk about a subject that, that you know, look, and I, on the whole voting thing, I am a bit of an outlier. I'm not a, a solo outlier, but I, but I am a bit of an outlier, and, and here's why. Not only do I not vote, I think it's wrong for Native people living on a Native territory to vote. I'm going to explain it all. Um, you know, part of it, for me, just comes to, down to the basic Turo wampum that says we don't step into your canoe or your vessel and you don't step into our canoe. We don't steer each other's vessel. We travel down the river of life together and we don't interfere. We don't try to overtake each other. We, we don't, you know, we don't force you into our canoe and we don't want to be forced in your, into your canoe. So, but, you know, things like voting isn't even force. I mean, nobody's forcing us to vote. I mean, hell, Americans can't even get their own people to vote, let alone Native people. Uh, I think, they're, you know, the, uh, the voter registration and the actual people who vote, especially in the primaries and everything else that leads up to, up to uh, a general election, is, is pretty pitiful. I mean, it, it almost makes it impossible for the United States to call themselves a democracy. And of course, the way their election system is so screwed up every, with everything from gerrymandering to, um, you know, frankly, electoral college when it comes to the, the presidential elections, it's, it's really an absurd uh, system. 
Um, but it's not our system. It's, it's, it's the system of Americans. And so those of you who are listening in Washington, D.C., I'm sure there's plenty of, I, in fact, I, a good friend of mine said the other day, if you don't vote, you're dead to me. He wasn't saying it to me. He posted it on Facebook. I says, um, I can't vote in your system. It's, you know, for me, it's voluntary assimilation. It's, it's me willingly placing myself within your system. And in doing so, I have to abandon some of who I, of what I am. So, and besides that, I almost have to, you know, I, I don't know any other way to view it other than saying I'm participating in selecting the next people who will be my oppressors. I mean, it, it is such a system of oppression in the first place. <clears throat> and when I hear people talk about things like decolonization on, on one hand and then voting in American elections or state elections on the other hand, I don't know how you can, how those two things can coexist. They can't. I mean, decolonization is literally unraveling yourselves from the systems of oppression. It isn't just about destroying their systems. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that we need to destroy America. <laughs> Americans are doing a pretty good job of that all, all by themselves, especially the rich. <clears throat> but we, we don't need to be, be a part of that. And if we're going to talk about things like sovereignty um, and aut autonomy, I, you know, it doesn't make any sense that we can have conversations about those things and, and decolonization and then register to vote. And, and, you know, at the beginning I said, especially if you live on native lands, look, if you live off native territory, if you, if you live in the city, I realize that those elections are oftentimes for people who represent districts in the city or, or whatever else. You know, I got to say, uh, if you if that's the system you live in, I I can't condemn somebody for voting in, in, in those elections. You know, if, if that's if you're dependent on the infrastructure and, you know, and that kind of governance that's going to, you know, uh, rule over the place that you live. I, I get I get I guess I'm OK with that. But if you live on native territory. I've got a whole lot of problems with people who who think they can live on a native territory and then register to vote and then vote in an election for, um, for a government that, that really we're, we're at odds with all, all the time. And here's the biggest problem that I have with it. And, and most people don't talk about this at all. It, and, and this issue became, um, you know, really kind of uh, came to my mind back a few years ago when there was a lot of hubbub over uh, Native people in North Dakota being denied the right to vote if they only used a P.O. box for their address. The state of North Dakota was saying, no, you have to use your physical address where you live. Now, that's always been problematic to me anyway, because I don't know what that says about the homeless population in the United States and that kind of stuff. But think about that. They are asking us as Native people to put down the place that we live, the place that we sleep at night, where we rest our head on our pillows, they want us to, want us to list our property, our lands, our native lands, as one of their congressional districts, one of their, their voting districts. So they're actually, they're actually asking us to not only compromise ourselves by participating in their system, but they're asking us to to be the person who signs these documents that are that are legal documents 
that says the place that we live are, 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 are in this congressional district or this voting district. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, if I lived on any native territory, whether it was Mohawk territory um, or, or Oneida territory or Seneca territory, I would never fill out a form, especially, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Mohawk and I live in Seneca territory. Who the hell would I be to sign up to vote and list my address on Seneca Nation territory and, and try to be, become a, a registered voter? I mean, it's kind of outrageous when you think about it, but nobody thinks about it. And, and again, that came to my mind because there were, you know, there, there was noise made about the, the folks, uh, Lakota, not being able, to, not being disallowed to vote unless they used a physical address. And, and of course, that's problematic for a couple of reasons because uh, there's been resistance for many, many years to us allowing our homes to be assigned street addresses, numbers and, and street addresses anyway. And, and you know, the fact that we used a post office you know, should have been adequate. But anyway, I mean, that's one of the, the biggest reasons you know, I, I think it's wrong for Native people who live on Native territory to vote because we have to assign our land or the land that we live on, even if it's not our land, but the land that we live on, and we don't even have a right to do this. We have to assign that land as part of the New York state because this, you know, in, in this situation, a part of the state because states run the elections as a part of the state and a part of the, the, um, the United States. And man, that just flies in the face of everything that I believe in. You know, so it's, it, it's really problematic. Now, here's, you know, the, the, again, as I said earlier, the other issue is that this is like volunteering ourselves, voluntarily submitting ourselves to the American system, to American citizenship, if you will. Because that's the other thing. You can't vote if you're not an American citizen. So you're essentially uh, following that through the, with that whole effort to denationalize us, to strip us, us of our native citizenship or, or, or character, our native character, and adopt theirs. And, you know, and I've talked about this as being the, you know, this notion of denationalization being the predecessor to the, the coined phrase genocide. This is what they did. They, they stripped away our national character and then imposed theirs upon us. And, you know, and I've said this before. If you worship in their churches, you do it voluntarily. If you enlist in their armed forces, you do it voluntarily. And if you vote in their elections, you do it voluntarily. Or if you run in their elections, even worse, I think. Then you're doing so because you have left your canoe. You have, you have, you know, you have become them. You have joined the empire. <laughs> so, and I just think that our, our autonomy is so, is so important. It's part of the reason that when I've talked about residential schools and we always hear this idea of truth and reconciliation, I say, no, we need truth, which not nearly enough people are really, are really prepared to hear the truths of, of what these residential schools were uh, and, and the whole process of forced assimilation. But the fact that we're, we're not forced and we're going to volunteer the rest of the way, we're going to go the rest of the way on our own? But, you know, I, when I talk about these residential schools, I, I say, no, we need restoration, not reconciliation. We need, we need to have what was taken from us restored. 
as, a, as a, you know, we can talk about reconciliation, but how do you reconcile if everything that you took during this 150 years of residential schools still remains yours? It's, it's part of why, you know, I, I, I talked about land acknowledgement and, and, the, and the problem that that represents, because that's like almost rubbing our faces in it. You know, that, yeah, you're not here anymore. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to pay homage to you as the people we ran off this property. So, I mean, so how do, we, how do we maintain distinction? Well, part of it is, is not being a part of the system. Now, while I don't vote in an election, and I never will, and I never have, I understand the system, and I'm, and I'm engaged in my critiques of you know, the, the, the two-party system, the, uh, the system of federalism that you know, has you know, federal government, state government, county government, local government, all... all look, I'm a, I understand how it works. <laughs> I didn't need to take a civics class. And I realized that most Americans don't even know how the system works. I mean, they really don't. I mean, they, they, they get led around like sheep, um, and they're, they're told who to vote for, and, you know, they, they listen to the lies that are spun every, you know, every time this election cycle comes around. And, and, and then they, you know, follow the lead of others, and they, and they vote. They don't vote their conscience. I mean, I think, of, I think about, you know, the state of Georgia, for instance, those, those people who are going to vote between Herschel Walker and um, Raquel Warnock. I mean, there are people who are going to vote for Herschel Walker knowing that he's li a liar, knowing that he's immoral, knowing that he's stupid. Why? Because they want the Republicans to, main, to, to, to wrestle control of the Senate back. So they don't care what, what they put up for those spots. They're going to vote because they got a big R next to their name. Now, and I'm not you know, saying this because I think Democrats have, uh, have, have done a great job. They haven't. In fact, I've, I've said all along, although I think racism is one of the hallmarks of the Republican Party, they don't have a monopoly on it. Uh, and and we, see that, you know, we see that all the time. So as a Native person, what good possible outcome can come from us voting in their elections anyway. For one thing, let me, let me do, run the numbers here. We are less than 1% of, uh, of the population. And I'm talking about Native people living on Native lands. We're less than 1% than of the population. And even within the small areas that we live in, we're oftentimes separated by different districts. Here I live in Seneca Territory, and uh, Seneca Nation Territory is divided into three counties. And that's just Seneca Nation. And then you got the Tonawanda Senecas that are in another county, uh, or, or if you want to say that, um, or and the Tuscaroras that uh, you know have another county drawn around them. So we don't, we're not a voting block. Even if we all Native people agreed, which we wouldn't, because there are Native people who've been sucked into everything from armed services, you know, serving in the armed forces to some of the you know evangelical views that exist out there. All of the things that that compromise us as Native people. Our people have been, uh, you know, have been subjected to. So we wouldn't vote all the same anyway. But even if we did, we couldn't. We couldn't swing an election unless an election came down to, you know, uh, uh, you know, ten, twenty, thirty votes. We don't even vote that much in in our own elections. And and I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of the elective system, even on even for native people. And and I I voice that, you know, frequently through <laughs> through this program. But we don't, that's not, it's not a part of our culture. So to do it even in, in a, a, a quote-unquote tribal election, we are stepping outside of who we are.
but certainly to vote in a non-native election, a state election, county election, federal election, that's, you know, that's a, again, subjecting ourselves, voluntarily assimilating. And that's, that's just a problem on, on so many levels. And, and again, it's pointless because we don't represent enough, enough of a voting block to matter. It, is, it further um, uh, pushes us into, uh, outside of our own identity. Um, it, it forces us to, to list our land <laughs> as a part of the state, which is something that we're always fighting. But see, most people don't even think about that last part. And, and, and then look at the choices. I mean, we, we've gone through, you know, some of the, the worst people in, in the state of New York. You know, we had, we had Elliot Spitzer, and, you know, who, who resigned in shame. <laughs> uh, we had uh, the first black governor, um, uh, a Patterson, who came in, who really threw his weight around trying to go after us over tobacco. Then we, uh, then we had Andrew Cuomo. Before, before any of those guys, we had Mario Cuomo, who we had, we had constant uh, battles with. And then Andrew Cuomo, uh, again, resigns in shame. And so now we have Kathy Hochul. Kathy Hochul, she picks up some of the same racist tropes that Andrew Cuomo did. She looks down upon Native people, even as she's squeezing money out of the Seneca Nation so she can build a football stadium for a rich guy. So the Democrats are no answer, no solution to us. I mean, and, and even, you know, and I know people made a lot of noise over uh, a few Native women uh, who, and, and maybe there might have been a Native guy too, who ran as Democrats and got elected. Well, there, was, there had been Native guys who had been elected. I mean, there was, um, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, um, um, Campbell, Nighthorse Campbell, uh, um, who ran as a Democrat, then switched parties and became a Republican. Uh, and he never did anything positive for Native people. You got that. You, there's a couple of other uh, congressmen that are out there who, who claim, of course, everybody's Cherokee. Uh, you know, the governor of the, of the state of Oklahoma claims to be an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation. And he screws the Cherokees uh, and, all, and everybody else in, in Oklahoma over, over gaming revenue. So we are not served by either party, even when our people join that system because one thing we aren't even when a native person runs we don't have impact on that on that election i mean deb hallen when she she won as a congressman down in new mexico white people voted her in i'm not saying native no native people voted for her yeah sure they did but it wasn't that close she got she got elected you know by white people so that's who that's who she served that's who she's serving right now the white man in the white house she's not serving us so I look at the system and I realize it's not ours and nor should we try to make it ours. And, and don't give me this, well, we're going to join the evil empire and change it from within. Sounds like a, a really bad Star Wars episode or something. No, it, no, it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to change the system from within. For one thing, <laughs> you know, I, what, what was the, the latest one I heard? Something about, um, um, uh, was it maybe it was the Cherokee? I don't remember about somebody getting a, a seat in Congress. One of the nations getting a seat in Congress. What would one native seat in Congress do? I mean, there's there's like 400 of these uh, Congress people. So what will one native person representing a native territory, not all native people, but a native territory, what would that what would that accomplish? I mean, if you got a handful of native people, 
you know, even in the Senate, which or or in Congress, what what difference does it make? I mean, we got Deb Hallen sitting in the Interior Department. What did she do when New York State tried to uh, um, squeeze them for half a billion dollars? Said, well, maybe next time we'll stop them. <laughs> no, she didn't, she didn't do a damn thing. She wouldn't meet. She didn't have one meeting with the Seneca Nation over the uh, over you know over the the dispute with with Kathy Hochul. Why? Because Kathy Hochul's a Democrat. She's and Deb Hallen's a Democrat. So I mean. The systems don't, don't work for us at all. But here's the thing. So as I'm calling down the system, I'm really calling it down for us and, and that we have no place in it. I'm not telling non-Native people not to vote. It's all you got. And, and look, it's even sold to you that way. <laughs> um, the problem is that, that you don't have a whole lot of choices either. I mean, the answer to Donald Trump was Joe Biden. I mean, give me a freaking break. But you know what? Regardless who you vote for or who gets elected, because, you know, there's always the system is, is built that, you know, there's there's going to be losers. And sometimes those losers might still, you know, be a lot. There may be a lot of them. I mean, what did they say? Didn't they say um, 70 million people or something like that voted for Donald Trump? I mean, really? There's that many people that voted for him? Seven million more voted for, for Joe Biden. But. Think about all those people who, who still are devoted to, to Donald Trump. Well, in every election, you may have as high as 49.9% um, dissatisfied. See, Native people, we, we had a system uh, we called Diana Lagoa, which means the, the, it roughly translates to, to the good way, the great good way. It's not, some people call it the great law of peace, and it doesn't really translate to that, but regardless. And the governing system that, that is detailed in the Guyana Ogoa is about a way to reach consensus. You know, and, and it sounds so innovative and it sounds like, oh, that's so special. How do you do that? Well, you know what? Your system was supposed to be about reaching consensus too. That's what your elections are. Your elections are, you, you, you have a, a vote and however it's enumerated, you, you count those numbers up and the people with the most votes, electoral college votes or, or you know, regular votes, they win. And the other side concedes. And that's how you end up with a consensus. But that system's really, really broken in the United States. You know, it's been, it's been kind of fraying on the edges for, for quite some time. But it's, it's pretty shattered right now. So, but your, your system was a, sense of, a system of consensus. It just wasn't a very good one. And it's not a very good one. But it's what you got. So by all means, vote. But you know what? More important than just voting on election day, and, and even if you didn't vote or don't vote, those people that get elected by, you know, by your party, the other party, you know, uh, the people who vote, and even if you don't, they still represent you. They are your servants. That's, that's a unique, uniquely Haudenosaunee concept, the idea that you are servants of the people. And, and you know, Americans pick that up. They, they use that expression, oh, I'm, I'm in public service. I'm a servant of the people. Are you really? Then, then how is it that you're richer than everybody else if you're the servant? I mean, it kind of, I don't know, that's not the way the whole slavery thing works, as I recall. <laughs> so, yeah, but they're supposed to be serving you. So hold them accountable. And I don't care how you do it. I mean, I'm not saying, dear congressman, you know, such and such, such writing letters. No, I mean... Hold them accountable. Get in their faces. 
I'm not saying threaten them or, 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 you know, commit violence against anybody, but I think stopping somebody in a restaurant or, you know, protesting outside their offices, their home offices, their, their, their Washington offices or their homes, hold them accountable. You know, and, and I'm not saying you have to necessarily, you know, protest and be antagonistic. Part of it starts out by having a conversation. Say, look, I don't. I think there's something you're not paying attention to. I'm my next week's show. I've got uh, Harry Wallace from Pusipatuck joining me. We're going to talk about a piece of legislation about protecting uh, graves, native graves. That for whatever reason, for whatever reason, Kathy Hochul has refused to sign up to this point. Now, maybe she's just oblivious to it all, which is entirely possible. Because, to be honest with you, we're not very high on anybody's priority list. So I think there's a lot of things that politicians do out of, out of sheer ignorance. You know, they don't even read the legislation. They've got staffers to read it, and you know, people will recommend what they should sign what they, in the law and what they shouldn't, what they sh how they should vote. I mean, anybody who thinks that this is some sort of efficient system of the greatest minds in the United States who, who lead the, the United States, it, it, that's not what exists. In fact, what you're seeing is a system in significant decline that is, you know, really in peril. You know, I talked about this before on the show. We've got climate change caused by man, by man's greed. So let's be clear about that. You've got um, racism, you know, which is showing itself, at, uh, you know, at an all-time high. You've got Social degradation beyond racism, you've got classism, you've got people who are just committing violence. And, and I know these school shootings and these mass, mass shootings are still, in the overall scheme of things, a small number of people who are killed. But, it, but it's just so blatantly wrong. And, and it's, not a, it's, it's not an insignificant number. You know, I'm talking to you from uh, the Cattaraugus Territory of Second Nation, 30 miles away from Buffalo, where, where a white supremacist came into a black community and, and killed 10 people in a, in a supermarket, wounding three others. Several days later, a, a guy walks into an a, a elementary school in, in, in Texas and kills a, a bunch of kids. I mean, this is crazy. It's crazy behavior. And nobody is really that committed to changing it. Just like I say about climate change, nobody's really that committed to, to, to trying to mitigate um, CO2 emissions, not, none of it. And the Democrats aren't either. I mean, every time you, know, you look at, well, what's the biggest deal? Is it economy or is it environment? Economy takes, takes precedent over everything. So money is more valuable <laughs> to both parties than the very planet that we live on. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's, that's just twisted. I mean, so, I mean, so that's tied to greed. Some of the, the racism is also tied to greed because, you know, you, you have this all idea that white people are, are, you know, have the, we call, we say white supremacy and we say um, uh, white privilege and we also talk about white fragility. But, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of the, you know, racist folks who are, are pitching this, this replacement theory that somehow they're going to lose something. So again, the greed, and their, their fear of losing something that, they, that they've been privileged to, to possess. <laughs> and we, we can go back and talk about how they came to own so much land and own this and own that. But no, that, that's a fear. So again, it, it's greed. We talk about um, conflicts, uh, global conflicts. 
you know, whether it's Russia trying to take, uh, take uh, Ukraine or whether it's within every country, the right versus the left. It's about power. It's about money. Oftentimes it's about who is going to pay taxes and who isn't going to pay taxes. Again, greed. So there's a lot of trouble in the world. And the United States is in the thick of every bit of it. The, the conflicts with their government, the conflicts with their in, uh, in, socially. Uh, again, the, the, the environmental impacts of, uh, of greed and development and, and progress. I mean, it's, it, we can't believe, and you can't believe as, as again, talking to the non-native public out here, voting is not the answer. I'm not saying don't do it. In fact, you probably should do it. But you know what? If you, if you decide, okay, I'm only going to vote for the th person who I think will win. So you're not going to vote your conscience. You're going to vote, let other things drive you. So, you, well, I'm going to hold my nose. I'm going to vote for such, uh, Hillary Clinton instead of uh, Donald Trump. Well, yeah, more people voted for Hillary Clinton, but Trump still won. Or I'm going to hold my nose. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, and he beats uh, Donald Trump. It, whatever you do, if, if you are voting within this construct of the lesser of two evils, you're still voting for somebody that's evil. And, and if after the election, you play no role in holding people accountable, that's, that's problematic. Look, it's past time for us to spill into the streets. And I will spill into the streets too. And, and, and somebody says, well, did you vote? No, I don't vote in those elections. Well, then you have no right to protest. Well, that's simply not true. Everybody who lives on the planet, everybody who lives on the planet has a right to live on the planet. And so anybody who is taking those rights away or making our lives unbearable, we, we don't just have um, a right to hold them accountable. We have a responsibility. So even though I'm not an American, and even though I won't vote in a state or national election, that doesn't mean that I don't, I don't talk to a, a, a congressman or a senator or a state legislator. I've, I've had meetings at the White House. And you know what? Because I've had some of the meetings that I've had over the years, I have affected state policy. I've affect, affected native, uh, national policy. And of course, I also talk to, to native leadership, even systems of government that I don't necessarily believe in, elected systems. I've, I've, I've played a role in much of the dialogue that the Seneca Nation has with or without me. We need to be engaged. We need to know what each other's thoughts are and what, because understanding that we have problems is if you don't, then you're just ignoring them. But we have to go beyond that. We've got to start coming up with solutions. And there are a lot of solutions. There's, there's certainly a lot of different paths that we could take that would um, be better than the, one, the ones that we're on. So we're heading in, into, um, you know, we're in the throes of the, of the election cycle right now, the mid-year elections in the United States. And there's governor's races. I mean, in, in, uh, in New York, um, you know, though, as, as we sit on the sidelines and watch the Republican and the Democrat do battle, of course, the Democrat will probably win. Kathy Hochul will probably win because there's, you know, the 
uh, Democrats have uh, are two to one in terms of uh, registered voters uh, to, to to the Republicans. Um, but that, as much as I, of a problem that I have with Kathy Hochul, I'm not rooting for this Lee Zeldin. I mean, he, he not only is a Trump worshiper, but this is a guy who everything that he that he's trying to run on, and the main one that he's been trying to run on is uh, is crime. I'm sorry, this all this dialogue about bail reform, increasing the crime rate in the United States, is just plain bull. It's just not true. I mean, the bail reform that was pushed through many states, including in New York State, was really about saying a poor person should not have to sit in jail when a rich person can, uh, can, can bail himself out. You should not be held in jail based on, on poverty. Now, granted, both the rich white guy and the, uh, and the poor black man um, both allegedly committed a crime, which is why they, uh, they may be facing bail in the first place. But the fact that if you're affluent, not just white, but if you're affluent, you're gonna, you, can, you can walk the streets even while you're you know, wait, awaiting trial. But if you're black, even for something minor, and I, I think back to the kid who died um, in, at Rikers Island because he couldn't pay, I, it was like $50 to bail him out. And there was nobody, there was nobody to bail him out. I mean, and so he dies there. I mean, that is disgusting. Now, None of the bail reform that, that I saw suggested that a violent criminal should, uh, should be allowed to, to walk. In fact, if somebody is a violent criminal, they shouldn't even be granted bail. I mean, frankly. I mean, and, but they, they, there should also be a, a, clo- a, a shorter time, you know, that, that they go to trial so no, nobody sits, sits in jail, um, you know, while they are presumed innocent, so to speak. But, you know, listening to Lee Zeldin talk about all of you know the, the crime rate. I don't know if the crime rate's any worse than uh, than it than it's been in the past. I in fact I don't think that it is. You know I think there are certain things that that are showing up. You know blips on radars here, but none of those. It's funny. The funny thing is none of the Republicans want to talk about gun control, and the fact that these these mass shootings are almost every one of them show the failure of uh, background checks on weapons. So, I mean, everybody talks out of two sides of their face, and, and they, they, find, they find a talking point that they think is going to energize um, voters to, to vote for them. But it's all a lie. It's, I mean, it's all a lie. So I, I, I can't look at any of these politicians in any party, in any state, and say, oh, that person uh, you know, has it right. Because... My views are always going to be shaped different because of, because of where I come from, because of who I am. Now, I have, I have spoken favorably about certain politicians when they have done the right thing, but only on the issue that they did the right thing over. So I, you know, I look at the amount of corruption that exists with every one of these guys. And look, and I've talked, I've talked critically about Obama, not because I supported uh, you know, any of his opponents. And I've talked critically about Trump, not because I thought any, because I supported his opponents. I, I had some major problems with Hillary Clinton and, and Joe Biden. But I have a bigger problem with somebody who's such an overt racist. And so much of the GOP has 
allowed racism to be one of their hallmarks, that I'm always going to be more more critical of of the uh, you know of the right than than of the left. But that doesn't mean that I that I I hope Democrats win, and I hope they rule, because I, I I've seen how badly they they manage. I mean, look, the Democrats have major problems. They they they're poor at messaging. They're poor organization. They they and of course. It's like asymmetric warfare, they call it, right? The Republicans play by a different set of rules than the Democrats. That doesn't make the, the Democrats better. It makes them less effective. But, they, you know, it isn't like they, they've, you know, somehow secured, you know, some sort of righteousness, you know, star to put on their forehead. No, most, there's as much corruption on the, on, uh, in Democrats as there, as there has been, you know, with Re- Republicans. We, we saw that with both Andrew Cuomo and with Kathy Hochul. She's being, you know, called out for pay-to-play stuff, uh, you know, on a number of things, in, including campaign contributions. But I, we also know what she did to, to the Seneca Nation, to the Seneca people. And, and she does this while her husband is one of the beneficiaries of some of the money that she's throwing around to, uh, you know, uh, uh, to the to Pagulas to build a brand-new uh, bill stadium. Because her husband works for the, con- uh, the company that does the... Uh, uh, has the vendor's license for uh, for food and beverages at uh, at, at the Bill Stadium? He you know also has all of the rest rest stops on the thruway and uh, all kinds of other state uh, state contracts. I mean it's it's so corrupt. I mean the the thing that you have to remember is none of these positions governor, um, president, <laughs> congressman, senator, senator they don't pay that well. I mean, they pay, they're well above the poverty line. I mean, they get paid well, but they don't get rich that way. They get rich because of everything they do while they're sitting in those offices. And, you know, they, they try to create some laws that'll, that will will stop corruption. But if, you're, if you become a, a U.S. senator and then become a multimillionaire while you're a U.S. senator, then somebody's not really paying attention properly. You know, and, and so, and I'll say that about any government uh, of the of this type. I mean, look, one of the things that we used to see in native territories was the the distinction between the haves and the have-nots was always the ones who worked for the tribe and the ones who didn't. All the ones who worked for the tribe were well were well paid. So whether you were elected or whether you were hired, you lived a better life than those who were outside of the the governing system. Again, this whole idea of uh, servants of the people, no. That thing has been destroyed. Winning an election is like winning a lottery now. It's not about buckling yourself in and say, okay, I'm ready to do the, do the people's work now. No. It's like, all right, I'm ready to cash in. I mean, one of the first things that a, that a newly elected official does is start planning for the next election. Uh, I mean, and if that's, that's almost a definition of Machiavellian, right? <laughs> that, that you that one of your main priorities is not only getting into power, but staying in power. And, and that's, that's the system that exists. So why would I want to vote in that? Now, again, it sounds like I'm discouraging everybody else from voting. It's all you have in terms of um, participation in that government. Uh, well, I take it back. It's not all you have. But it's the, it's, the, it's the one thing that they advertise that you have. You all have the opportunity to, to pressure politicians, whether you voted for them or not, 
to do the right thing. But you might have to have a few plans along the way. You know, one of the things that, that I saw here happen in, in Western New York, which is equally disturbing, is, as I said, a white supremacist came up from downstate and, and killed a bunch of black folks in, uh, in, in a tops-friendly market. And then this outpouring of, you know, words <laughs> came from white people all over the place. I mean, even the local NPR station, you know, oh, we're going to do a special series called What's Next? What happens after May 14th? And they're doing all this stuff about race and racism. But that station didn't have, have any people of color hardly working there. They don't have any, I mean, they got a few, but they don't have a whole lot. We watched the city of Buffalo gerrymander the, 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 the city districts so black people would not be fairly represented in, in city council, even after this, this, this May 14th stuff. So, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, um, fixing the, the inherent racism. We watched, again, Kathy Hochelhan, $400 million that she took from the Senecas and hands it over to the, the richest guy in Buffalo who owns the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bandits, the Buffalo Sabres, um, hands it over to him so he can build a brand new stadium he, and he increase the value uh, of, his, of his team even more. None of that money was being used for, for, for people of color. It went to a rich white guy. And even when you start to have a conversation about Okay, how do you ensure that if you're going to do a billion-dollar-plus build on a, for a new stadium, how do you make sure that other people are, are benefiting from that? I keep hearing that, that notion or that sentiment expressed, and nobody has a clue. Because building a, a, a football stadium does not stimulate the economy. What it does is it increases the value of the football team, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't spur growth. And economic activity. I mean, they, they only play, <laughs> they only play uh, what eight games a year or seven games a year in that stadium because half of their games are away games. <laughs> so they don't they don't even play in uh, have that many events there associated with the football team. But if, but the value of that football team goes up when they have a, a brand new shiny stadium to play in. And even the conversation about the stadium is all about tiered pricing so they can, it's actually going to seat less than the one they have now, but they're going to have more luxury suites. So what does that mean? Well, it means rich white people are going to have better, a, a better view of the game. I mean, what, what gets missed in the, in the conversation about racism in every place in the United States, but, but again, even here, even in the wake of this mass murder that took place in Buffalo, there's not an honest, honest conversation about, about racism. I mean, I mentioned it before, but I'm going to say it again. The, the mayor's race in, in the city of Buffalo um, was an interesting one. A woman by the name of India Walden, who was a black woman, um, east side of Buffalo, born and raised. She ran for the, for the mayor's spot and won the Democratic nomination. The, the guy, the, the incumbent, Byron Brown, who was a de is a Democrat, lost the primary bid, but ran anyway. How many times have you heard, well, Bernie Sanders, you're going to run as a Democrat um, and you lose, you can't run as an independent. Well, nobody said, said boo to, to Byron Brown. Now, Byron Brown is black too, but he's not from Buffalo, not originally. And you know what? A whole lot of white people support Byron Brown. So when he ran as a write-in candidate against the Democratic-nominated 
um, candidate for, for the mayor's office. Republicans voted for him. They knew the Republican wouldn't win, or I don't even know if they had a Republican uh, candidate. But they all, they all wrote in for, for, for Uncle Byron. That, that election itself, even though a black man won, a black man who carries water for, for Kathy Hochul and Andrew Cuomo, he won, but it, it, there was a racial question there, too. So this is the way the system works. It, it isn't even consistent. So it's very problematic. So that's why I say I won't vote in the election. And I would seriously question any Native person who thinks voting, especially, again, if you live on Native territory. I mean, here's the thing. We've seen policies over the centuries that have been trying to drive us off of our land. So why would I sign a paper that says our land is part of New York State just so I can vote in their crappy election? Why would I do that? And of course, we're also told and, and been told for decades, your only chance for, for uh, a, a good future is to leave the reservation. I've, I've heard politicians for, for the last 50 years say, well, we, the biggest mistake we ever did was uh, um, establishing the reservation system because all those Indians did was go there and live in poverty. No, your reservation system was about creating poverty. So then, well, we're going we're gonna to try to do a relocation program and move Native people off the reservations and uh, into the cities. And, and part of the sales pitch is that there's nothing for you at home. Well, that's because you took everything away. So, so we, we get, at the earliest ages, we are led to believe that success means leaving home. Look, and I know small-town America has that a lot too, right? Well, you really grow up in a small town, you think, okay, how, how do I make it out of this, this you know, one stoplight town? But true success is, is learning enough in your life that you can do something positive in your community, wherever that is, whether it's a one-light town or whether it's a native territory. But there's, there, are, there are relatively few programs and few pushes across the United States or Canada that says your territories should be the models of success and, he, uh, and here's how we do it. No, we're, we're told time and time again, you got to get off the reservation. You just got to get out. You got to leave these, these, these dirt road ghettos. You just got to get out. So we're conditioned to believe that. I mean, the other thing that's coming up in November is uh, the Veterans Day. Uh, and, of course, November gets celebrated as Native American Heritage Month. One of the, again, the local NPR station is doing this special <laughs> on Native people enlisting the armed forces. And we got to listen to all of this crap. Oh, it's because of the warrior culture. No, we didn't have a warrior culture. Did we defend ourselves? Absolutely we did. But we, we had families. Our men were all just living in, in, in overt bloodlust. The Haudenosaunee were known for, for our ability to make peace, not war. So every time I hear somebody say, well, the reason that Native people enlist in the armed forces at a higher rate than any other minority group in the United States is because of their warrior culture. Bull. Bull. It's because of poverty. It's because of racism. When 
your life is so bad in the communities that you've been confined to that picking up a rifle and throwing on a uniform of the country that, that did this to you seems like a better option? Well, what does that say about the, about the options you had before you made that decision? I mean, because Native people wouldn't listen at a higher rate, but Black people listen at a pretty high rate, too. Why? Because there are so limited opportunities in, in, the, in the existing dominant culture. Native people even enlisted for other reasons. There was a certain effort to endear ourselves to our oppressors. And before they passed the Indian Citizenship Act, which tried to declare us all as citizens, there were Native people who would enlist in the armed forces specifically to try to become U.S. citizens. Not this, not this guy. No. I mean, and the crazy part is when we were in the throes of some of the more violent eras of native U.S. conflict, we viewed every native person who, who rode with the, uh, with the U.S. military as, 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 as thieves, as, as traitors, as cowards. Every scout they had we look down on those. So when, when I hear people try to suggest today that we, we enlist because of our pride or because we're defending our land, now if we were defending our land, we'd still be fighting white folks, <laughs> not people in Vietnam or, or in, in the deserts of, uh, of the Middle East, not in Korea, not in Japan. We wouldn't have been in those conflicts. We'd have been in, in the conflict... Look, the very reason that Japan bombed Pearl Harbor was because of U.S. military. Not be, they, didn't, they weren't bombing the Ganakamali. They weren't bombing the Hawaiian people. In fact, part of the reason the United States was showing such aggression towards Japan is because they, were, they didn't like the relationship that, it was, that was building between the Kingdom of Hawaii and the uh, uh, Empire of Japan. Look, and I don't have a strong opinion about different people's forms of government, whether it's a monarchy, whether it's um, you know communism, whether it's totalitarianism. I mean, I, I, I mean, I have an opinion, but if people support that that kind of government, then it's on them. And look, and look at the United States. There are people who supported Donald Trump because of, of the authoritarian figure that he represented. So, don't tell me that you know that. The United States stands for, you know, liberty and justice for all, you know, and, and that we're uh, equality and all that stuff. That, none of that was ever true. When they wrote those words, it wasn't true. And it's still not true today. I have a hard time convincing a state politician or a federal politician or, or having them understand that, no, I'm not a U.S. citizen. Said, well, of course you are. No, no, I'm not. He said, well, where do you live? I said, well, I live on the Cattaraugus Territory of Seneca Nation. Yeah, but what county? I don't live in a county. I live on the Seneca Nation Territory of Cattaraugus. And he said, yeah, but which, um, which district is it? Our territories are not in your district. And, and, and look, there are Native people who agree with this stuff, right? Who say, oh, yeah, well, I, I live in uh, Erie County, or I live in Cattaraugus County. No, I don't live in Erie County or Cattaraugus County. I live on the Cattaraugus Territory of Seneca Nation. But even, like I said, I said at the beginning of the program, as we talk about things like decolonization, if we can't even decolonize our mind enough 
to assert our distinction as people, our land as ours. You know, New York State has no legal basis to claim any native territory as part of New York State. And in fact, for there's more documentation, both at the federal and the state level, to show that the feds and the state recognized that our land was not part of the United States or New York State. In fact, when they were trying to move the Senecas and others off of uh, the land in New York and send them out to Kansas on the other side of the Mississippi, when the Senecas asked, well, how would that, what would be the status of that land? They said, well, it would be yours. Just like the land you, you, that, were, that you'd be leaving, it would be yours. And the United States would never claim the same. Candidate Retreat, this is, the United States recognized that the, that this, the land is, is the uh, property of the Seneca Nation. And the United States will never claim the same, nor will it interfere with the free use and enjoyment of that land. Not of the, only of the Senecas, but of, of, their, uh, of their other native people who live with the Senecas. Now, they never honored that stuff, but, but that we, that's what their documents say. We didn't write that stuff. When, when, when they told the Senecas, if you go to Kansas, you will live in a territory that will never be a part of the United States. Why? Because the land we're trying to move you off of isn't part of the United States. We're trying to make it part of the United States. New York State, for years, was still going back and forth over some of these issues and said, look, we're, these lands are not part of the state. And in fact, one of the big things that came out, you know, came out of the um, Indian Reorganization Act was, was really tied to the fact that states were sometimes paying some of the treaty payments to different nations, in, in, including in New York State. And they said, well, we're doing, that's illegal. We're not supposed to do that. We, we shouldn't be spending state money on a federal obligation. So this whole idea of where Native people sit, uh, fit in within the system of the state system, the county system, and the federal system, none of that stuff, there's a lot of assumptions that were made. But we still have a hard time asserting our distinction as people and, and the distinction of our lands. I mean, how do we have a conversation about land back? How do we have a conversation about restoration of lands and of autonomy if we don't know what that means? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean voting in their elections. It doesn't mean running for their offices. It doesn't mean serving in the military or praying to their God. Now, I know there's plenty of Native people who do all of those things. And it's just important that you understand fully what, what it all means. If you vote in their elections, you're an American citizen. Not, and don't give me the whole dual citizenship thing. Because if the, if the United States doesn't recognize our autonomy enough to recognize our citizenship, then as far as they're concerned, it's not dual citizens. We're, we're just, we're theirs. And if we vote in their elections, we're saying we're theirs. And if we live on native territories and we vote in their elections, we're saying that our property is theirs. Convince me I'm wrong. We'll talk more. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. You know me.